Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hey, Jamie, darling. Hey, Caitlin, darling. <laughs> um, will you paint my nails for me? I don't know. Do you like looking like cheap trash? Because if so, I guess I'll do it. Me and my awesome boobs that everyone loves. Well, my boobs are awesome, too. <laughs> this movie gave me body dysmorphia again, again. Oh, my uh, gosh. It's not fair. <laughs> How do boobs look like that? Anyways, oh, I, think no. my, I think my takeaway from watching Showgirls is, wow, I think my boobs are weird. <laughs> oh, Jamie, your boobs. That's not true. Is that the lesson of the movie? Um <laughs> Yes, it's uh, it's a weird. brilliant satire about boobs. <laughs> Welcome to the Bechdel cast. Look, we've yeah. got we've got Gina Gershon, and yes, she's kissing ladies again. Mm-hmm. It's a time honored um, Gina Gershon observation on this show, mm-hmm. uh, but this time in a very different movie. Yes, indeed, because today is our Showgirls episode. Oh, often requested. Hello, I'm I'm Showgirls number one, Caitlin Durante. I'm Showgirls number two. <laughs> I, I work at the Cheetah. My name's Jamie Loftus. Yes, 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 yes. Um, and yes, this is a highly requested episode. We've been getting requests for this since the show began yeah for some reason we did starship troopers and basic instinct before this um this is Uh our third this is kind of wild because i i don't think that we often i'm trying to think of a director that has appeared on the show three different times i feel like verhoven for some reason he he pops up on this show quite a bit yeah there have been a few but paul is really Showing up. I mean, on the Bechdel say cast. what you will about Paul. He really generates a discussion. He does. And I love that about Paul. All right. All well, right. that didn't pass the Bechdel test, but no, what even is that, Jamie? 
Well, the Bechdel test is a media metric created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechdel, sometimes called the Bechdel-Wallace test. Many versions of this test, it was originally created as a bit for a comic strip that Alison Bechdel wrote, um, but now it's sort of used as a uh, metric to for us specifically to use. Mm-hmm. Here's the one we use. Um, our version of the Bechdel test requires that there be two characters, uh, of oh my god sorry my (laughs) (laughs) there'd be two characters the end two characters of a marginalized gender with names that speak to each other about something other than a man for two lines of dialogue or more Mm -hmm. not a perfect metric which you know because showgirls passes it almost immediately and so many of the conversations that pass during this movie are about fingernails it's like, yes. it's almost as or if... chips. I love the chips. Oh, <laughs> sure. Dog food, doggy chow. Dog food. Okay, that was relatable for me. I used to eat dog food on stage all the time. That's right. Um, wow, you really are a show girl, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I am the showiest girl. I really loved the chip. Con- I mean, there's so many iconic exchanges in this movie, but... Yeah. Um, yeah, the like giggling, being like, did you eat the chips? I was like, wow, <laughs> I should do that more. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to come over and replicate that exact conversation with me? Yeah. Wake you up and be like, where's the chips? <laughs> anyway, so we use the Bechdel test as a jumping off point for a larger conversation because we here on the Bechdel cast examine movies through an intersectional feminist lens. And today is no different. And the movie is Showgirls and the guest we have today. A legend. You've seen them on RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one. They host the podcast, The Things That Made Me Queer. It's Crystal. Hello. Hi. Welcome. Oh my God. I I really enjoyed that intro. So many things to say already. We're already all completely flummoxed about how we're going to manage talking about this movie. I, I can tell. It's <laughs> so hard. It's interesting. I feel like there's certain movies where depending on like, you just have to like, take the temp on how everyone else feels about it before you can speak your mind well people feel a lot of ways about this movie so they really do many opinions to choose from well let's not to put you on the spot but let's start with yours Uh, (laughs) what's your perfect great what's what's your history with showgirls okay i have to be honest and say i think this is this has at one point in my life been my favorite movie. Mm-hmm. So it is. it has occupied that place for me. And it's probably the movie I've spent, I've watched the most times in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is a lot to say. Um, <laughs> so this is your Titanic for us, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Titanic, which I've seen one time. What? Yeah. Blasphemy. Yeah. Shocking. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys always reference Titanic. I'm like, who are they talking about? I don't even oh, know who these characters gosh, are. Oh my gosh, Crystal. <laughs> I know. Well, now, I w- prepare to, to hear me reference chips and nails a lot because I could probably quote this entire movie from start to finish, which I don't think is like healthy for me, <laughs> but um, <laughs> it is where we're at. I saw this movie probably when I was like 12 or 13 with like when I was still in the closet and had like a straight best friend and mm-hmm. he would he, he probably was like showing me it on his parents tv after midnight like it was that kind of vibe mm-hmm. i don't really remember it from that period but i know i i knew i saw it in that kind of era and then i watched it again in my early 20s with my then boyfriend who was like 
you need to watch Showgirls. It's a camp masterpiece. Mm. And from then, it's basically been in my life in multiple different ways, up until the point where I'm now a drag artist called Crystal who dresses like a slut on stage. So <laughs> it's really taken me places. So it's is you a showgirl. Is your stage name based on or inspired by Crystal from this movie? It's definitely partially responsible, I would mm-hmm. say. The other reason is when I when I started doing drag I was working for Swarovski. Ever heard of no it? No way. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so it just felt like uh, it felt like a meeting of, of worlds because, I, it, yeah, it, it was a bizarre job selling crystals to people and uh, mm. it just felt like the right the right name for me at the time. Um, yeah, that rocks. I personally rocks. do want to come off. Crystal, okay, <laughs> right. hang on. Um, exactly. Unlike Nomi, I do want people to think I'm a whore. So mm-hmm. I felt like the name Crystal was really going to help them get to that point a lot faster. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. I just love Gina Gershon so much. I know. Ugh. Incredible. She's in, I feel like she's in on it and not like, not everyone is. Oh yeah. She may be the only person who appears to be in on it. Absolutely. Which is wild because Kyle MacLachlan is in this movie and I feel like he's always in on it, but by his no, own he, account, he, he was yeah, not he in know. on it. Mm-mm. He didn't know. I'm like, did he look yeah. in the, did he see how they did his hair? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> his hair was wild. Yeah. Okay. Incredible. <laughs> the only other thing I would say about it is that since it being my favorite movie in my twenties and me thinking it was the greatest thing that had ever been made, I have since reevaluated things and I now see it as a very problematic movie which I have mm. a complicated relationship with sure. and that's I think probably what we're going to spend the next hour talking about wow <laughs> oh you think it's only going to be an hour <laughs> I think again <laughs> um Jamie what is your history slash relationship with showgirls shockingly sparse Mm. I had never seen this movie all the way through um I I do I feel like I've mentioned a few different movies on most memorably Requiem movies I caught my dad watching at night um (laughs) Requiem was the most memorable of them because that movie is horrific but I do remember uh catching and watching Showgirls once and being like uh ding dong daughter (laughs) alert and he was like Actually, I think he he tried to do the the now very popular reclaiming argument um, to justify why he was watching it. Mm-hmm. He was like, you know, people came down pretty hard on this movie when it came out, myself included. But now that I'm sitting with it, I think it makes some interesting points. I was like, all right, <laughs> all right. <laughs> nice save. Uh-huh. I guess you're not technically wrong. Um, <laughs> but I had never really sat and like watched the whole thing and then I ended up watching it twice all the way through because I feel mm-hmm. like for this movie especially you need a a fun watch and then you need a critical watch mm-hmm. because you just need to let it wash over you mm-hmm. and I totally like watching it now I don't know I mean I liked it a lot I, I want to go to a rowdy screening of this like it is so mm-hmm. problematic in so many ways we're going to talk about it it's just but it's so like the camp levels are just like off the chart. Yes. There's so much, and this is true of this writer always, but the the guy who wrote this movie, I'm just like, what does he think women talk like? It's chips. It's chips. Nails you eat the chips. Dog food. <laughs> weird and every other conversation is you're a whore no i'm not you're a whore (laughs) i used to play a drinking game with this movie where you would drink every time someone mentioned nails 
being pushed down the stairs or accused Nomi of being a hooker. And you were drunk within the first five minutes of the movie. <laughs> <Yes>. It was. <laughs> it's really, it's, it's like, it's so, the water is so hot that it's cold again. Um, <laughs> there's just like everything that happens is problematic. And you're just like, and it's so like sincerely done. And I just, I don't know. I am baffled by it. I'm fascinated by it. I would like to see a rowdy screening of it. Mm-hmm. And I also like don't really I was reading through the God, so much has been written about this movie. I was reading through a fraction of it. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily come down on the like which this is I think we we encountered this with Starship Troopers as well, which is which is obviously trying to be satire. Mm-hmm. But there's like this big argument that like this movie is actually good and it's playing 6d chess and (laughs) i don't i don't believe that but i think that's all right Mm -hmm. i think gina gershon somehow is the only person in the entire production who knows what's going on Mm -hmm. i don't even think paul verhoeven knows what movie he's making but for some reason gina gershon does (laughs) (laughs) and i celebrate that she reads a script and she knows what's up you know just unbelievable and yeah there's some stuff in this is it that's horrific and reading the um that i mean this it's so unfair that this tanked elizabeth berkeley's career mm-hmm. i think that was like one of my big takeaways and i mean the way that this movie handles race holy shit um mm-hmm. but we'll get there Yes. Caitlin, what's your history with showgirls? I similarly have a very sparse history. I think about What's wrong with us? I don't know. About a year ago, I was like, I can't believe I've never seen showgirls. I am going to watch it. And I thought that I, in that sitting, watched the first half of the movie and then got sidetracked and then forgot to go back to it. And then when I started prepping for this episode and I was like, oh, I've already seen the first half. So, you know, it's I know what it's about. Turns out I had only watched the first 10 minutes, but so much (laughs) happens in that first 10 minutes that I it felt like an hour's worth of cinema. (laughs) Nomi is living. Yeah, she's living on turbo mode all the time. I would describe her performance in every scene as thrashing. She's just doing a lot of thrashing about. I want to have she hates cars. sex in a pool like that. She hates cars. <laughs> she will if there's a car in a scene with her, she's going to hit it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, that didn't occur to me. <laughs> she does a lot of um storming out. Mm-hmm. Of, oh, storming the way she enters slamming. and exits scenes is just like oh. <sighs> It's she, something to behold. She kind of reminds me her entrances. Do you remember that scene in I Frankenstein? <laughs> Where I Frankenstein, like there's a door available, but he crashes through a through, window instead yeah. mm. because he's just dramatic. Nomi Malone as Kool-Aid man. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> it's, uh-huh. it's so great. And and I really enjoyed like I don't know, I really enjoyed reading about how reclaimed and revered Nomi is and that there's literally I didn't have time to watch it but there's a whole documentary called You Don't Know Me <gasps> it's great really oh yeah the best yeah the best it's really great <sighs> this is also sadly like I knew how conflicted I felt about this movie so I consumed so much additional media in the past week about this mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. and it, it hasn't helped but um <laughs> I now know far more than anyone needs to know about Showgirls. So, well, you know, oh, any that. fun facts you want to share? Yeah, by all means, please. I'll try and keep them to like 
a minimum because otherwise <laughs> we'll be here a while. <laughs> Bring it, baby. Well, shall I do the recap? And yes, please. We'll go from there. Yes. Let's actually take a quick break first oh. and then come back for the recap. Twist. <gasps> Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal History. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Okay, the recap of Showgirls. And before I begin, I will place a trigger warning for something that happens at the end of the movie. Uh, trigger warning for rape and sexual assault. Okay, we meet Nomi. That's Elizabeth Berkeley. Also, apologies in advance if I call her Elizabeth Hurley. I feel like I'm going to, <laughs> and it's on accident. I oh, I do want I want that alternate universe movie though. <laughs> right? I do want to see that one. I just the names are too similar, and I do think I will mix them up. But Elizabeth Berkeley plays Nomi Malone. Uh, we see her as she's hitchhiking to Las Vegas. Ever heard of it? Oh. She gets a ride from this guy, Jeff. She's like, I'm going to go to Vegas to be a dancer. He is very sleazy. He says he's going to help her get a job, but he ends up taking off with her suitcase. So now she only has the clothes on her back. She's obviously very upset. And this is when she meets Molly, uh, played by Gina Rivera, who sees Nomi in distress and offers her to adopt her. Question <laughs> mark. Yeah, pretty wild. When you see a girl in a leopard print top throw up and almost get hit by a car, you think she should move in with me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Saint Molly, truly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never in a million years thought that Jeff would return. Jeff right. comes back. <laughs> Oh, no bow unbowed with this movie. Mm. Things you didn't want (laughs) resolved. Things you didn't know you wanted resolved are resolved. Oh, you thought there was going to be a loose end with Jeff? Yeah, right. Mm. No, we're going to cut back to Jeff. Jeff's getting his. (laughs) I really hope the sequel, had there been one, would have opened with them driving into 
LA and the the car is still swerving all over the road. Oh, Crystal, I've got news for you. There is a sequel to this movie. Oh, I know. Okay. But <laughs> but, but it, it's a different story that sequel. Yeah, it doesn't follow Jeff Nomi. List. It follows yeah. Penny. What? It follows Penny. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And the actor huh. who plays Penny in the first movie reprises her role and wrote, wrote her. Directed, and directed and edited <gasps> the movie uh-huh. i believe oh my god it's like that celine dion biopic i really want to watch oh oh i Wait. do recommend that actually have you seen it <gasps> yeah i want to see it so bad it made me cry twice oh what's that <laughs> movie that at the time of this recording is in theaters it probably will have left by the time this episode comes out but it's the movie that celine dion plays herself in and it's about, oh. I think a woman loses her boyfriend, like her boyfriend dies, but she still has his, or someone, something, there's a phone number and another guy, she texts Caitlin, her boyfriend's talking phone about? number. There's a movie. Okay. <laughs> it's a woman who, her boyfriend dies and she texts his phone number to be like, I miss you. And another guy ends up with that phone number like a year or so later and so he's getting all these text messages being like, she's saying like, I miss you. I'm going to go to our special spot. And so then he shows up and what? then they meet and then they fall in love. And Celine Dion plays his like, his mom. I don't know. I'm Caitlin, filling in the blanks. This is a this real is a movie. dream you had. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real movie. I swear it. And I think we should cover it on the show. I think we should too. Celine, oh, not to, I don't know why, why are we talking about Celine Dion? Oh, because I derailed it. I was in Montreal the other day. Uh-huh, brag. So we were like, for every You're Wrong About tour show, we would like try to put like a local hero over the like intro slide. And so mm. we're like, let's put on Celine Dion. And I was like, oh, probably that's the most obvious Canadian to pick. Everyone's probably s- sick of like, it's like, they're, you know, doing a show in Boston yeah. and putting Mark Wahlberg on the screen. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. Yeah, they're not sick of Celine Dion. No, they love her. <laughs> uh-huh. They were like, we, they love her. <laughs> I was also in Montreal last week and I went to a karaoke <laughs> bar and it was a very francophone karaoke bar and it was just back to back Celine Dion songs. It was, I it was love, great. <laughs> I love that they love her so much. I yeah. thought it was going to be hack, but I was like, no, it, They one person stood. I was like, wow. <laughs> What a wild, um, well, Beautiful. shout out to Celine Dion for some reason. She wouldn't be out of place in this movie. No, no. I mean, it's Vegas. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's had a residency. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so back to showgirls, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, so we've met Nomi. She meets Molly, who offers her a place to crash. We cut to six weeks later. Nomi is still living with Molly. Nomi goes with Molly to work. Molly works in the wardrobe department for a show called Goddess, which is a, I guess, like Broadway style show. There's a lot of dance. uh, There's also a lot of nudity. And Nomi is watching it and she loves it and she feels inspired because of all the dancing and she wants to be a dancer in this type of show. Have you ever been to one of these shows in Vegas? No. No. I have. Tell us. It was called Bite and it was uh, vampire themed. Oh Oh my God. Otherwise, it was essentially the same. There were a lot of sexy topless ladies um, and there was problematic scenes they used a lot of like 80s hair rock 
Okay. It was a lot of like, you know, middle-aged Midwestern couples there to like feel a little bit sexy with each other mm-hmm. while they were watching like a vampire lady without a top on called Ice doing <laughs> I mean, Foreigner Cold as Ice. You gotta you gotta mix you gotta mix things up. Yeah. <laughs> Marriage is a long haul. <laughs> so all that is to say is these shows are real and mm-hmm. um, it's confusing to me that someone would aspire to like the lead in one. Like that that could be the the goal of your career because I feel like it's I feel like we should all have a little bit higher aspirations than that. That was my next question was like, is is like headlining a show like this a huge, gigantic, like best thing in Vegas, the way that it's presented? No, I don't think so. But I guess maybe in this world, yes. Like maybe, I guess there are big Cirque du Soleil shows, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe in this world, it's like a Cirque du Soleil level show. But even that doesn't have a headliner. Right. No. So I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I, you know, Nomi wants to be the star of a show like this and good for her. True. True. That's what I say. Um, Dream on, baby. Exactly. The current star of the goddess show is Crystal Connors, played by Gina Gershon, who meets Nomi and immediately insults her when she tells Crystal that she works at cheetahs and crystal is like that's not real dancing and nomi is like you don't know shit and she storms off as she is wont to do i love her (laughs) she's so dramatic your friend has nice nails (laughs) Um, there's like a look that comes over elizabeth berkeley's face whenever she's about to storm away i think it's genuinely very good where you can just tell i'm like oh Oh, yeah. Nomi's about to blow. Like it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. It is. Uh, then Nomi and Molly go to a club, and one of the bouncers goes up to Nomi and starts dancing with her. The dance moves they're doing, they're erratic, they're peculiar. <laughs> and he's like, You're not very good at dancing, but you've got potential, and I could teach you. And she doesn't like this, so she kicks him in the nuts. (laughs) Oh, right. Which... God, so much happens in this movie. (laughs) Right. Um, And this instigates a big brawl at the club, and Nomi gets arrested, but then gets bailed out the next day by the bouncer. And he continues on this, like, I could train you, I could teach you. But she rejects him again. Also, we will eventually learn his name is James. Uh, He's played by Glenn Plummer. But you don't learn his name for a while. And I think you only hear it on screen like once or twice, maybe. Mm. So, but that's James. Then we finally see Nomi at work. She is a dancer at a strip club called Cheetah's. We meet some of her colleagues, like this woman, Henrietta, and Penny. Uh, We also meet her boss, Al. He's a very sleazy guy. He is also played by one of the Fratelli brothers from the Goonies. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Twist. (laughs) That night, Crystal Connors comes into the club with her 
boyfriend slash their relationship is maybe unclear but his name is zach carey that's kyle mclaughlin he is the entertainment director of the hotel where the goddess show is at the hotel is called i think the stardust the stardust and he has bangs i feel that bangs should be a separate cast member yeah um it's weird that they're not credited as such and so he's got like a side part and the bangs are like swooped over sometimes they're in his eyes sometimes not proto bieber kind of thing Mm -hmm. i have to admit that one of the few things i remember about watching this as a preteen was finding kyle mclaughlin hot i mean it's kyle mclaughlin he's (laughs) still no but even with the hair and potentially because of the hair (laughs) yeah it's the hair has angles i will say the hair does have angles it looks so clean constantly as well (laughs) it's really shiny he's he's being groomed um he it's also hair that's quite similar to jack dawson it's true so think about that it's true it's a it's it's a haircut that takes place out of time yeah Mm. (laughs) um okay so they so zach and crystal go to cheetahs to watch nomi dance or i don't know if they go specifically because she's there but they show up and nomi's there dancing and then they hire her to give zach a private lap dance while crystal watches and they basically invented the phrase hey we saw you from across the bar and we really (laughs) like your vibe The vibe uh-huh. flailing around. Uh-huh. We loved it when you licked that pole. <laughs> we love it when you thrash and please thrash on me. Yeah. And that's exactly what she does. And Zach and Crystal, they love it? Question mark. <laughs> I'm not really sure. But Zach comes. He does come. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> Had to have been a painful scene for him, right? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> hard to say. Hard to say. But James the Bouncer is also at the club because he is perpetually stalking Nomi and mm. leering at her and things like that. Then James shows up at Nomi's house on his bullshit again, being like, You have so much natural talent as a dancer. Let me teach you. And then he also implies that she shouldn't be wasting her talent, quote unquote, by being a stripper. And she rightfully tells him to fuck off. Right. She's very morally. I mean, the, this movie is like attempted a morality tale gets very, very um, murky, anti-sex work and confusing. Yes, for mm. sure. And our girl Nomi seems to change her mind about what her version of morality is every 25 seconds which doesn't help (laughs) it's true yeah that's the big discussion point for me later on is the movie's attitude towards sex work but we'll get there it really is just like two guys feeling their way around in the dark and you're just like (laughs) yeah and then every interview they're like no we went to vegas and we talked to like 20 people (laughs) it's like guys (laughs) we went to vegas and hired hookers (laughs) (laughs) As research, and they thought the script was great. I was like, I don't know. Like, I none of these real life sex workers they allegedly talked to ever seemed to come out of the woodwork. Almost like they're making it up. Yeah, <laughs> right. 
I guess what the thing to remember the whole way through is whenever Nomi's upset that someone's just called her a whore or a hooker or whatever they've called her, it's because she's trying to leave that life behind. And which is right. the reveal at the end of the movie, right? I'm right. Sorry, spoiler yes. alert. But so it kind of makes sense a bit for that character, but it's almost mm-hmm. like the movie is Nomi deciding whether or not she like how much she's willing to sell. Mm-hmm. I think that is kind of an interesting idea. Sooner or later, you're going to have to sell it, which is like one of the first lines in the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that rings true for all of us. I mean, <laughs> we're selling it right now. Right now. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Speaking of which, subscribe to our Patreon. It's really fun over there. <laughs> yeah, buy some merch. Alfred Molina feminist icon merch. You need it. God, our selling is so embarrassing. Anyways. <laughs> That's my morality tale. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so at work at Cheetah's, a guy shows up to tell Nomi that they are holding auditions for the show Goddess the following morning and that she should come and audition. So she goes, but the producer, Tony Moss, is an asshole and it seems like she blows the audition. So she confronts Crystal being like, you got me this audition, didn't you? Like, this was your doing. And Crystal is like, yeah, I like the way you dance. And Nomi is like, well, I hate you. And then she storms off again. Then she bumps into James and he brings her to his house to show her some choreography that he's working on. He's like, I wrote this for you because I'm trying to put a show together with you and some other dancers. So he starts teaching her the choreography, which immediately leads to them making out and they almost have sex. (laughs) This scene is so wild. She's like, we can't, I have my period. And then he's like, yeah, right. I don't believe you. And then she's like, check and so he puts his hands down her pants and confirms that she does have her period and then she's like okay bye (laughs) and she's like i'm out of here it's like wow that's i mean there's so many ways to have the last word and this is one of them I I I kind of liked that scene. She's so just, wild, and and just the way that this reader writes about periods is so bizarre. It never occurred to me the connection between this and Romeo and Michelle, where she says, "Sorry, I cut my foot earlier, and my shoe is filling up with blood." It's it's not it's not a dissimilar way to end a conversation. Yeah. <laughs> if you say you're bleeding, you might get out of that awkward conversation. She does something similar with her boss. I think maybe in a scene that happens before this, but Mm. Al is like, where were you last night? And she was like, I was having my period. And then he's like, oh, well, okay. He goes full like male gym teacher about it. And which is great. But then it's, I don't know. There's just like lines in this movie. It's delightful. They just keep going. And you're like, why is this line still going? Um, mm. Or she's like, I had my period. You wouldn't want me to get blood all over everything, would you? And you're like, no me. Why is a woman bleeding so scary to men? I Well, I mean, to the stocky guy's credit, question mark, he's like, I've got towels. I'm like, yeah, that really is all that you need yeah fair 
Um, anyway, so <laughs> Nomi gets a call from the producer, Tony Moss, saying that she has been cast in the Goddess show. So she quits her job at Cheetah's. She goes to tell James the good news because I guess they're friends now. But he has another woman over Penny, who would go on to star in the sequel. And he's telling her, like, oh, I want you in my show now. And Nomi is, I guess, jealous. And she basically storms off again. Then she goes to give her, like, name and background info to the production for, like, employment records. But she's vague and she doesn't seem to know her social security number. And it's possible that she's hiding something about her past. Terrific. <clears throat> yeah. Then she starts training and learning the choreography for the show. She bumps into Zach, a.k.a. Kyle McLaughlin. And he's like, wow, you look beautiful. And so there's like some flirtation brewing there. And then her first show is that night because she somehow learned all the choreography in a single day. And she's dancing her <laughs> ass off. I yeah. love the dance scenes in this movie. Even when they're confusing, they're very impressive. What do you think is the narrative of the show Goddess? Goddess? Oh. Question number one. Question number two. Does it pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> I have always imagined that Goddess is like topless Fantasia, where they're just oh, little vignettes. I like it. About different goddesses and, uh-huh. but like sexy. Yeah. There's so a motorcycle the at goddess, one point. You've got the, yeah, the, the motorcycle rape dance scene doesn't oh, really fit with oh. the, the, the title of, of the show. No. Yeah, it was not getting goddess energy from that particular selection. No. I'm wondering, so I, I know that there's like Rocky Horror style performances of this show, and mm. now I really want to see them. Because it this is a show I would like to see live. I feel like it's almost like why isn't there in Vegas like the showgirls experience? Like there's an actual Coyote Ugly Barn. Oh yeah. You know, I feel like you should have access to Goddess. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> Absolutely. It would destroy. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Let's get to work on it together. Okay. <laughs> okay. So then, so Nomi has her first show. It goes well. Zach sends her flowers. And then James shows up after the show. And he's like, I still want you to be in my show. Who cares if I'm having sex with other people? And she's like, I uh, bye again. And but he'll be back again, again. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Then Crystal takes Nomi to lunch. This is where they talk about eating doggy chow. The conversation is, I don't know if any point of this movie is actually horny. It, the level of horniness, I guess, is open to interpretation in this movie. But there's like mm. sexual tension between them. Yes. Mm. They're having a conversation that's quite, again, the issue with, with this whole movie is swerfy, getting into like swerf territory. And one example is this conversation. The point is, like, we're establishing a lot of tension between them. They almost make out, but then they don't. And Crystal is like, we're all whores, and so are you. And Nomi's like, fuck you. And she storms off again. 
<laughs> and then Nomi gets offered this gig to dance on a yacht at a boat convention. And Molly, who has kind of dropped out of the movie, reappears and she's like, don't do it. And Nomi realizes why, because she discovers that she is expected to have sex with like one of the casino's high rollers. So she says, fuck you. And she storms off as she always does. And then she tells Zach about this. Zach pretends to be appalled. But the guy who sort of orchestrated this whole thing, this guy Phil, does not actually get in trouble. It seems like this is very par for the course for like them, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, like pimping out Mm -hmm. the performers of this show. Yeah. And like one of the many times where Kyle MacLachlan's character acts like shocked by something that he obviously knows exactly what's going on and is like actively working to uphold it. Yeah. It's one of the parts of the movie that actually like works pretty well. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. this happens this happens in a different capacity later on, which we'll get to. This is also the first time we hear the reference to Caesar singing, which right. becomes a stand in for um are you willing to sell your body? Which I also really like as a euphemism because uh-huh. Kyle says it later. Kyle McLaughlin says it later. We're going to take you and hear Caesar sing. And then at the end of the movie, she does hear Caesar sing. And it's like, oh, mm-hmm. this is this is it. This it's happening. It. Yeah. This, there's parts that are good. There's no, <laughs> they really close every loop, whether you like it or uh-huh. not. They do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's what I call sex now. Caesar singing. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Do you want to? You want to hear Caesar sing tonight? Or <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then Nomi goes home with Zach, and they have sex in his pool, which is once again Boy, mostly just Nomi thrashing and flailing around. Yeah. Also, at some point, Nomi has gone to James's show that he originally wanted her to be a part of. The audience hates it, even though it seems like it's a fine show and people are doing a fine yeah. job. But like the audience is like, boo, you suck. It's so there's <laughs> I was like, what happened right before she got here? <laughs> like, Yeah, right. Yeah. Did he throw things at them? <laughs> <laughs> it's confusing how this show is different to Goddess. Right. Right. I don't know. And then James is like, by the way, Penny is pregnant. And oh, right after he says, go get me a beer, bitch. (laughs) And then is like, anyways, she's pregnant and I gave up on my dreams and that's fine. (laughs) And you're just like, for this woman who dances like a truck. (laughs) She dances like a truck. That's a good insult. And also, she was dancing fine. It's just (laughs) every choice in this movie is so bizarre. Yeah. Um, Okay, so then Crystal's understudy gets injured during the show because of this rivalry between two of the performers, which we don't really know why that's happening, but this one performer causes another one to get injured. So they hold auditions to cast a new understudy for Crystal, and Nomi gets the part. But Crystal figures out that Nomi and Zach had sex, slash they heard Caesar sing, because that's, again, a brilliant euphemism. Um, And Crystal does not like this. Uh, She seems jealous or, you know, there's unclear. But the next thing Nomi knows she does not have the understudy part anymore. 
Um, but Nomi is still performing in the show and her like rivalry frenemy thing with Crystal continues to escalate to the point where Nomi pushes Crystal down the stairs and she's badly injured and the producers are freaking out because Crystal is the star and what if people don't come to the show because Crystal isn't there but they take a gamble and put Nomi in the leading role. Big Phantom of the Opera energy mm. to this. Oh, that's right. Except, well, there's so, I, I can't wait to talk about like the dynamic between those two characters because we've seen this exact dynamic in so many cautionary showbiz tales and I just want to lay them all out. This Ooh. is so, yeah, such a thing. Anyways, but yeah, yes. now she is the star. Yep. But Molly is like, Nomi, you pushed her, didn't you? And Nomi is like, tee no. <laughs> and Molly is very suspicious until she's not anymore for reasons. Plot reasons. <laughs> because Molly is a kind and trusting person. I mean, she's a pure soul. She bends over backwards so yeah. many times to accommodate Nomi. Also, at this point, like, Nomi. I think we're to assume is making pretty good money and still has not moved out. Mm. Right. Get a life, Nomi. <laughs> Seriously. You're imposing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's only one bed in that trailer. I know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a single. <laughs> and there aren't enough chips to go around between the two of them. <laughs> oh, okay. So they end up at the same party, Molly and Nomi. And Nomi introduces Molly to this musician guy named Andrew Carver, who whose name has like come up throughout the movie prior to this. But now he's in Vegas to perform. And Molly is a big fan of Andrew Carver. But then, and I'll place another trigger warning here for sexual violence and rape, but Andrew Carver and his cronies gang rape Molly. And she is hospitalized. Nomi goes to call the police, but Zach is like, don't do it, Polly. Yeah, I know that your real name is Polly Ann Costello and that your father killed your mother and then killed himself and you ran away from foster care and then you've been arrested several times for soliciting sex and possession of crack cocaine and assault with a deadly weapon. So much and happens in this movie. I have all this dirt on you, Polly. And Nomi is like, who cares about all that? What about my friend? But Zach is more concerned about protecting Andrew Carver's reputation. So Nomi takes matters into her own hands. She goes and beats the shit out of Andrew Carver. It's showtime. Then she pays Molly a visit in the hospital to like tell her what she did for her. Uh, And then she also pays Crystal a visit. And Crystal is like, I know why you pushed me. I did the same thing to get where I'm at now. So there's no hard feelings between them. (laughs) And then they make out (laughs) for a little bit. (laughs) Such an intense kiss. Yes. So intense. I like I know that the, the kiss is legendary, but Crystal is so fine. When being yeah. pushed down a flight of stairs, she's like, it's, it happens to every performer. It's, I'm like, does it though? You reach a does certain it? age and you get pushed down the stairs and don't even worry about it because I got a huge settlement. <laughs> There's this thing where basically any character that Nomi interacts with becomes completely 
obsessed with her. And yeah, you can you can get pushed down the stairs mm-hmm. by her and you're still on team Nomi yeah, in this world. It's so wild. <laughs> Doesn't matter what she does. It's true. Yes. <laughs> you just threw up on my, on my car. Time to move in. You push me down the stairs. How about a big kiss? <laughs> She can do no wrong. Oh, you need me in the nuts? Let me bail you out of jail. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. I forgot about that one. Wow. It's wild. Okay, so then Nomi has, you know, tied up her loose ends, and then she hitchhikes out of Vegas, and she gets a ride from the same guy that she got a ride from at the beginning, this guy Jeff, who doesn't recognize her at first because she's incognito mode uh but then (laughs) she's moon mode yeah 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 (laughs) this must be a different hot tall blonde lady in a leopard print top (laughs) right but her her leopard print top from from the beginning it's become like sheeny Mm -hmm. so it's like she's got money Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. so he he couldn't have recognized her sunglasses too sunglasses she takes off her sunglasses (laughs) and he's like oh my god it's you and she's like give me my fucking suitcase and then it's implied that she's Headed to Los Angeles. Ever heard of it? Woo! <laughs> the end. Incredible. Woo! So that's the movie. Let's take another quick break and we'll come back to discuss. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. And we're back. Okay, where to start? <laughs> um, Crystal, what jumps out to you? Where, where would you like to start? Wow. Wow, that is a big question. <laughs> yeah, besides Once everything, again, what jumps out? Yeah, cool. Well... I think I'm going to throw it to that documentary you mentioned earlier, which is You Don't Know Me, which says that there are three different ways to watch this movie, which is it's a piece of shit, it's a masterpiece, or it's a masterpiece of shit. Mm. And I think I think that third category is where I've also landed, where there is so much to love about it, so much that is completely baffling, and there is so much that's deeply, deeply wrong. Mm-hmm. And... To enjoy this movie, you have to accept kind of all of those things at once. And like, 
cherry pick the parts you love and like be critical of the parts you don't. You mentioned wanting to see this live and as a gay man and a drag artist, I've had the pleasure of seeing this live many, many times. Mm. What I would say is for an example, often when drag productions of this movie are done, they'll cut out the rape scene Mm -hmm. because it's Mm -hmm. so incongruous with the camp of the rest of the movie totally. i very much prefer that yeah yeah i'm yeah. glad that happens or i've seen it where uh they've cut it and then brought out a great stripper to like give a great strip routine we're like we're gonna spend this next three minutes just being like look how great live sex work is uh-huh. awesome like there's lots of fun ways to do it but that isn't it's almost like it feels a bit like cheating to pretend that that scene isn't in the movie because it was obviously very intentional Mm-hmm. And it's part of the of the narrative that they're really trying to tell about this movie, which is like, you know, how far are you willing to go for success and for fame? And like, what what is the cost of the American dream? Right. It's, it's, you almost have to decide if you're going to watch if you're going to watch the fun version of Showgirls or you're going to watch the serious version of Showgirls. Right. Mm. So at the time when this movie came out, it was horribly received, tanked mm-hmm. at the box office. It was poorly reviewed. Kyle MacLachlan saw the movie and he's like, this absolutely sucks. It ruined Elizabeth Berkeley's career completely. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Joe Estrahouse, who wrote the screenplay, was like, mistakes were made. <laughs> Paul Verhoeven was like, damn, I guess I made a bad movie. But he also like embraced that people started appreciating it as like camp trash and he like went right. to the Razzies awards and accepted his Razzie for worst director which is like sure I guess sure like, like, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> might as well also camp <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because like I don't know exactly the kind of trajectory of like critics being like this sucks but then a bunch of audiences being like but it's so bad it's good and it's fun and the dancing and you know that kind of stuff because at some point it achieved you know the cult status Mm. uh, that it still has and then also at some point there were a lot of people who kind of reevaluated this movie and said it's actually brilliant satire and that satire was intentional obviously and then right. there's Paul Verhoeven <laughs> movies you can make that argument for it just not this one just not this one but i also like i see that to some extent because this is a movie about how a place like Vegas and an industry like the entertainment industry commodifies people and it commodifies sexuality and particularly women's sexuality and women's bodies and it sells it as a product. And there's also like a hierarchical element to that where some people are quote unquote more valuable as a commodity than others because you have these stars like crystal and like that guy andrew carver who make the venues a lot of money and the producers a lot of money and so they have to be protected Mm. but they can also be replaceable Mm. to some extent because they are treated as a commodity which is like i think best demonstrated there's a few different scenes that really clearly demonstrate this i'll cite Two in particular, it's like parallel scenes, basically. There's one scene at the beginning of the movie with Crystal and then another scene toward the end of the movie with Nomi, Mm -hmm. where I don't know if he's like the owner of the Stardust Hotel or what this guy's job is, but he's kind of like interviewing both of them. And he's giving this like 
speech verbatim saying like we could have gotten anyone for the show paula, paula abdul, abdul. <laughs> <laughs> huge for paula abdul <laughs> right. he's like but we needed this star and she's perfect and talented and so sexy and blah 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 and it's the same speech about two different people who occupy this starring role at different parts of the movie because again they're selling these women as a commodity and as long as they have certain traits and certain talents it doesn't matter who it is according to this industry that they're working within right and it's this type of you know commodification that makes people feel like they have to be very competitive of each other and Again, whether that's intentional in this movie or not, like intentional commentary or not, that is what's happening where you see all these different rivalries. The main one, of course, being between Nomi and Crystal. This movie has been like cited as being like pretty much a ripoff or a remake or whatever of All About Eve. Which it's like definitely, I don't know. I was thinking about the, this specific dynamic, which is like, so complicated for a lot of reasons a lot of which you just said of, of like the inherent competition I feel like this movie kind of does an above average job it's not doing you know all about Eve numbers of making mm-hmm. this dynamic a little clearer for the kind of because I feel like you know in we've seen this dynamic a lot of times all about Eve um, I feel like you also see a version of it in Black Swan you see uh-huh. it in Chicago mm-hmm. uh, you see it in The Favorite and it's like there's a new girl in town and you better watch her back because there can only be like you this industry institution whatever it is it's often show business there's often a like Kyle McLaughlin type character where it's like now he's my boyfriend because I'm new and young and cool and mm-hmm. like the tacit implication there is like there's only room for one of you so you will have to tear each other down in order to be that one because there's only one spot and it's very fleeting and like it's a story we've seen so many times and it's so clearly based in how I think especially women or and and also just performers in general although I feel like we see it most frequently between women are like conditioned to see each other and like how institutions like this and like the city of Chicago question mark uh, and (laughs) ballet and like how you're conditioned to turn against each other and conditioned to be competitive over supportive and that's the only way you can survive and it's like it's so tricky because I think that when those stories are written poorly it makes it seem like this which this movie kind of is but I feel like it does (laughs) well we should talk about it um like how i think when it's poorly written it makes it seem like an inherent quality of like Mm. because there are two women and one is 10 years older they have to hate each other and this is just like the natural order of things and Mm -hmm. it is not an institutional symptom of like how they've been conditioned to view each other and how they've been conditioned to view themselves and i feel like this Mm -hmm. movie actually does above average at that we've definitely seen it done much worse um which i guess is a bar on the floor kind of thing (laughs) um right it's weird because the movie the movie feels like a movie that oh, like a go to the theater type film for yeah. sure 
it's a movie written and directed by men who, again, don't seem to know how women interact. Yeah. But, <laughs> which is really funny. I'm just like, so no funny. one tell him. Silly, goofy <laughs> yeah. thing. Let him keep making these movies. God, can you imagine being that guy's, like, partner and being like, you think I'm doing what when I'm with my friends? You think we're talking about what exactly? Yeah. Dog food, right? It's dog food. <laughs> dog food, dog chips. food. And you go dog shopping at Versace together, etc. Okay, I thought the Versace bit was good class commentary. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. I've done shit like that. Oh, with the the last thing I want to say is um I yeah, I think this movie does an above average job and every time I see this dynamic it does like uh, it it really sucks how i think that this is still something very very present in a lot of industries and it reminds me of how i was sort of spoken to and like encouraged to feel and kind of like came in with this attitude when i started doing stand-up of like Mm -hmm. well there's not a lot of space Mm -hmm. for you and you're gonna have to like you know don't bother making friends and in a way that quickly was like oh fuck this you know like i'm losing money every time i walk out the door i'm gonna make a friend mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but but i feel like there were like i had early experiences in comedy where you know it's like either you're like a threat uh because you're new and there's only so many spots mm-hmm. and and it's i don't know i think that that has certainly lessened mm-hmm. as sure. in the last you know in the 10 years i've been performing but it still felt like i was like oh god yeah they like the early to mid 2010s it felt very very present in a culture yeah I had a lot of similar experiences in my early stand-up career where I couldn't tell you how many shows I did where I was the only woman or femme on the lineup mm-hmm. and I was kind of conditioned because this was like 2010 ish I was at the time conditioned to think that that's something I should be proud of where it's like yeah. well we have one spot for a woman and you got it and you right. got it and we filled our mm. quota because that's all the more every, any booker wanted to put on the show is one woman mm-hmm. and i would be like wow i got it i got the spot I on this show it. i get to talk to all these guys that suck. losers <laughs> who like verbally assaulted me throughout the entire Ugh. fucking show i got so i think i've talked about this on the show before i got so not so many but like a couple and one very memorable one, like mm-hmm. when the Me Too movement um, first started. I think just like men in Boston that were like, oh, fuck. And like a guy that I mean, he, you remember? Yeah. Yeah. He sent me this long message that was like, sorry, I talked about you disgustingly every time I was around <sighs> you. And I was like, wow, I actually didn't know that was happening uh, a lot of the time. And now I do. So thank you for telling me that you're horrible. I didn't really know. Um, yeah. But I mean, that that goes both ways where it's like when I started performing, there was like a show I did where there were two women. Very <gasps> thrilling. But it was like the middle of summer. It was like 100 fucking degrees. And I was wearing shorts on stage. And the only other woman on the lineup was like, you can't dress like that on stage. Like, mm-hmm. take it from me. I'm 30. And you can't wear shorts. And it's and, like. And so you I, pushed her down the stairs. I did. But she was fine with it. And then we kissed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think what you were saying about this like antagonistic relationship between two women, though, I think it, it it's one of the things that I've struggled with with loving this movie because it's something that typically gay men have loved to watch in movies. Mm. You know, mm. from Mean Girls to this to Black Swan to All About Eve, like these camp movies have a place in gay culture mm-hmm. death becomes her yeah. yeah and it's it's definitely it's definitely problematic and it's definitely something to do with an you know misogyny within the gay scene where it's fun to watch women be shitty to each other and it's something that i find less and less appealing now but it's you can still go on twitter today and watch you know gay men pit gaga against taylor swift or beyonce mm-hmm. and you know it's it's not something that's gone away. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what you say a- about this movie doing a better job of it than most is actually true because it there is nuance and it's not just two women involved. There's what I like about this movie is that there's so many different women and none of them mm-hmm. are saying things that really make any sense. <laughs> but but they all have distinct and different motivations and goals mm-hmm. and like some of them suck and some of them don't and some of them are trying to figure out where they fit and I like that for this movie yeah right this is very much a women's rights and women's wrongs kind of movie Mm. yeah yeah so I guess the bottom line is women have historically sometimes had rivalries and tension among them or between them but there's almost always context for it and it's like institutional patriarchal context and it's a matter of does the story recognize that context and comment on it Mm -hmm. or is it you know men who have just seen women be petty toward each other and not understand why and just assume oh well this is just how women are women are petty with each other and so I'm going to put that in the movie and it seems like yeah this movie does understand the context because it examines like you know the way that like the entertainment industry yeah. doesn't value aging women. Yeah. yeah. It's actually the whole point of the movie. It's like the in, basically the whole message of this film is the show business industry chews women up. Like, yeah. I would say if it has one point of view, it's that. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think I remember you talking about this on your Death Becomes Her episode mm-hmm. where the motivation for their animosity is you thought I was cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. uh, and you and you stole my man. Uh-huh. So like you stole those Bruce are weak Willis. motivation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> those are weak motivations to right. kill each other mm-hmm. and push someone down the stairs, which also happens in that it movie. Does <laughs> yeah. wow, Gina Gershon's head should have twisted all the way around like it does. <laughs> Death because wouldn't have felt out of place in this movie. No, um, there uh, it's so. And then I also had like a whole, and then I was like, Jamie, too much, too much. Um, but uh, I was like, how connected is this to like this movie comes out like a couple years after like Tonya Harding and Nancy Kerrigan, and like I was like, oh, I wonder if that was on the writer's mind or if he really was just like, no, no brain for this one. Just women be pushing each other down the stairs. But it, there is, it's always contextualized, and yeah. Yeah. and I like that it's like. I think that this is, even though it's like bizarre, it makes no sense that Crystal is like, it's all good. This was going to happen to me anyways. So I'm glad it was someone I had a crush on who pushed me down the stairs. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. But I feel like it. I, I, I like that the movie makes a very deliberate decision to 
end things well between them. I mean, like, really mm-hmm. well. You get that whole kiss. <laughs> In a way that, like, I think the only version of that ending that I like better is Chicago. But I'm such a Chicago head where it's like, well, mm-hmm. we don't really like each other, but we got to take this show on the road because that's the only way we can retain our value to society. Yeah. Um, wow. And they're showgirls, too. Mm. They are. <laughs> oh, I. That's another show I would love to see live. Mm. Anyways, yeah, I like that the movie wants... <laughs> however bizarrely wants crystal and nomi to end in a good place mm-hmm. that yeah. feels rare mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. true i think another thing the movie does that's interesting and accurate is that it presents every male character working within this you know very <laughs> d- despicable industry that again commodifies people and women and women's bodies and all this stuff shows the men as being manipulative, sleazy, gross, very aggressive, like all these things, predatory, all this stuff. Rapists. Rapists, Mm -hmm. stalkers, rape apologists, just horrible people. Again, not (laughs) hashtag not all men. Wow. I said it, but someone's going to clip this so out and be common. like, they've changed. Oh, I wasn't going to. It's so common, especially the people who have any power in an industry like this to treat women as commodities and to exploit them and exploit their labor and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we see that in this movie. What do you think the movie's point of view is about James? <sighs> oh, so confusing. <laughs> I I feel like the movie thinks James is a good guy. Yes, I agree. I think that he's he's presented as the least bad of them, even though he's continually stalking her. Yeah, he's awful. He's awful to her. Yes. He's the and yeah, I I felt especially in the last scene. I wonder how this felt to watch in 1995 because I'm like, oh, are we supposed to think he's like the one that got away? I think so. Right. But but he just called his pregnant girlfriend a a bitch in front of us. And we're like, wow, she should have ended up with him, question mark. Uh, He also does that thing where he's like, I bailed you out. So you owe me like I did something for you and now you owe me sex and he's very awful but yeah the movie does not frame him as being the same type of like bad as all the other men it is it's confusing yeah I think we've talked about this in some way I forget in what context on the show before but like I think he's definitely like the best worst guy or that's what they want us to think is like he's the best man we meet in the story (laughs) but everyone is awful so Mm -hmm. the fact that like he and I don't even know if this is true like he's the I don't know. We're, I think we are supposed to think he's good in comparison to how all the men around him behave. Mm-hmm. But like, he's still awful. I can't believe that we're supposed to be like, he's the one that got away when he's like, go get me a beer, bitch. You dance like a truck. Yeah. <laughs> um, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. While we're on his character, something that the movie does that I found a bit nefarious is... The movie tricks you into thinking it's going to be more diverse than it actually is because Mm -hmm. Molly and James are introduced early on and are presented as being important characters or characters who you think are going to be in the story as important characters throughout. But 
the movie to quote our favorite song from A Star is Born, they fall by the wayside as the story progresses. I was like, by the wayside, iconic song from A Star is Born 2018. And what is Showgirls but a story about a star who is born? Mm-hmm. You know, from a volcano. From a volcano. <laughs> Wow. It's true. Goddess. Mm. Mm. There is an interracial relationship, which is not something you would commonly see on screen for like a major motion picture in 95. And if an interracial relationship was in a movie in that era, there was a lot of attention called to it, like called Mm -hmm. to the fact that a black man is kissing a white woman. How scandalous. How, you know, whatever. But this movie very normalizes it. Yeah, it's very matter of fact. The relationship is awful and he's manipulative and a stalker. But at least it normalizes people of different races kissing each other and checking if they have their period. (laughs) That should be normalized. Yeah, kind of amazing. And then I think it also is very... I don't know, like telling of the movie sort of, I don't know, like, I mean, obviously there are two white women at the center of this story. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Molly, who's the only black woman who gets any meaningful um, space in the Mm -hmm. story is Mm -hmm. chosen as the one to be violently assaulted (sighs) feels very pointed. And um, I don't know, I, I was reading about how like the experience for Gina Rivera of filming that scene it sounds like it was really traumatic um, especially for such an unnecessary exploitative scene yes that she's only seen the movie one time because Mm -hmm. and and left during the premiere during that scene because she's like i don't need to see that again and like your body doesn't you know you can know you're acting but your body doesn't really know the difference when that is done and i i wonder i wasn't able to find out maybe you know crystal like if there was any sort of intimacy coaching or any sort of anything i'm assuming there wasn't i'm assuming there wasn't as well and that's so i mean it it feels very pointed in how comfortable people are just exploiting black women in movies and and also Mm -hmm. it's only done to advance nomi's story of like to present her with the big problem and the fact that a writer couldn't conceive of another way for that to happen is just like gross i mean yeah it's by far the worst part and it happens at the 11th hour it's like why is this really comes out of nowhere yeah like they could have um well paul verhoeven loves shocking graphic violence Mm -hmm. like every one of his movies has like vomit people getting blown up disgustingly and there's seems to be a rape scene in every one of his movies Mm -hmm. as my husband said i think I think Paul Verhoeven's a pervert. And it's kind of hard to argue with that. Like it's like, <laughs> why does this need to happen in every one, Paul? Like we can we can experience the horrors of rape and rape culture without actually needing to visually experience the horrors of it. Absolutely. And I think his his point of view is people should be confronted with how awful this is. We've been kind of dancing around this whole movie what this industry is all about and I'm going to make sure you understand what it's really about here at the very end. I can see what he was trying to do. Um, but the way the scene is framed and shot and I mean, yeah. it's just it's, extremely yeah. triggering for the audience it's and awful. for the actor. Yeah. I, I want to share some quotes from Gina Rivera 
the scene took nine hours to film and it seems like Mm -hmm. it was just pure torture for her the entire time. Mm -hmm. She says, quote, when you do a scene like that, your body doesn't know it's not real. Jamie, you already alluded to that. I don't know if I would have taken the movie if I had understood that. She then adds, I took the rape scene very seriously because when you see rape on film, you know you're representing people who have lived through it. I thought, I'm going to do this scene so the girl who goes to that party and gets asked to that room doesn't go into it. I was willing to do this scene for that person because this is a real moment in the world, unfortunately. Women are victims of this violence, unquote. Which I appreciate that she seems to have taken that moment of the story with like, you know, she handled it with as much care as she could. But again, the way that it unfolds on screen and the fact that it unfolds on screen at all is completely unnecessary, which is something that Joe Esterhouse later admits. He says that rape scene was a God awful mistake in retrospect, a terrible mistake. I mean, Mm. truly the least he can do. (laughs) Right. Um, Given their, yeah, I mean, and, and then, yeah, even from like a narrative perspective, it happening that late in the movie is like, what the fuck are you doing? Like truly. Yeah. I, I, I think it's one of the worst and the the biggest crimes of this movie is the effect that that scene had on the actress mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who did it, and I think that's it's probably the most unfor- unforgivable thing about this movie. The other thing I would say is what it did to Elizabeth Berkeley's career. Like those are the two yeah. like real world impacts mm-hmm. that this movie's had, and and despite it trying to make a movie about how show business destroys women. It ends yes, up it being a vehicle to destroy women. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Which is really, really troubling and strange and ironic, I guess. Mm. I also read something, you know, to just kind of further dig that hole that Gina Rivera was meant to have a topless scene in the trailer as well, which for no reason, but she was gonna just be coming out of the shower in one of the scenes. And mm. she she said, I don't wanna I don't see how this is necessary for my character mm-hmm. or you've already got a movie that's full of breasts. Like, yeah. why do you need mine? And they, she apparently had to have a real fight with Paul Verhoeven about not wow. doing a topless scene. It's just, and again, it's like, what what point would that have served other than if you're a woman in this movie, we should we should be able to see your breasts. We have to see <laughs> right. your titties. Yeah. It's, yeah. Ugh, and it's it sucks that, I mean, like Gina Gershon, I'm really glad she spoke up for herself. And also, I'm sure that not every actor in the movie felt like they could advocate for themselves like that mm. because they're viewed as replaceable, which like you're which saying, is, what the, is what the movie is, is about. about. Yeah. Right. But I felt, I mean, yeah, I, I feel especially because of where Elizabeth berkeley was in her career i think she was like 20 when this movie was filmed she's very young and she had been on saved by the bell and i think we i mean this is like opens a huge can of worms that we probably don't have time to get into today but this was like her role of like i am an adult now which i think is something a pressure that's put most often on young women in hollywood um we saw i mean we've seen it a million different versions of it. I feel like, uh, you know, Zendaya doing Euphoria is like, now I'm doing the adult thing. And it's not just like, I'm going from being a child entertainer, which I have a ton of thoughts about anyways, to like, now I am a sexual creature. And like, I don't know, like it, it's, 
it really depends on how mm. the actor actually feels about it. Yeah. And if you want to like take a part like that, fucking go for it. Yeah. But I feel like there's also just like an implied pressure to take a part like that to declare like I am no longer a child I am super no longer a child I will be you know Mm -hmm. and Elizabeth Berkeley taking a huge swing by taking this part and then being like mocked for it is just so yeah ugly yeah she it is a very flaily performance but Paul Verhoeven (laughs) says years later I don't know why he doesn't say it at the time that that was like a result of his direction like he Mm -hmm. was like go big in every scene Mm -hmm. so it like it was just made out to be like oh she's a terrible actor how embarrassing that she was Mm -hmm. in this exploitative movie and like who does she think she is blah 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 was like the, the framing of the framing of her and like obviously that has a huge effect on you when you're 21 years old yeah. and you hmm. like it's i don't know yeah she's been really consistent as well about how she loved making it mm-hmm. she loved mm-hmm. making the movie like if you watch the clips of her doing the interviews during the filming she's having the best time and even 20 years later she attends a screening and she talks about how she felt like when she was making this movie that she was living her dreams she was mm-hmm. having the no me moment she was making something that was you know going to be career changing for her but she also loved doing and so i i think in a way if if it hadn't tanked and if it hadn't ruined her acting career it would really solve a lot of the a lot of the problems around this movie but the fact Mm -hmm. that it did chew her up and spit her out is is really sad Mm -hmm. i wanted to go back to what you were saying about race as well though because Uh yeah there's i think three black characters in the movie there's crystal's understudy there's Nomi's love interest, and then there's Molly, and all three mm-hmm. of them are again destroyed, <laughs> essentially right. in one way or another. What I would say that this movie is trying to do, I think it is trying to make that point, and I have read that Paul Verhoeven said explicitly that, yeah, the portrayal of these characters is representative of the way black people are treated in America, and mm. so again, I think it's interesting that then the spin-out effect was actually, again, to traumatize a black actress through a rape scene. Right. Again, doing kind of doing what he said he's trying to highlight and if you kind wanna, of advocate against. Right. If you want to make commentary on that, you can't do the exact same thing mm-hmm. that you're making commentary right. on. Yeah. That's the whole... <laughs> that's this whole movie's just... I don't even know the word. Ethos? No. But, like... It's also like a movie about how women's bodies are commodified and exploited and then every single scene, and not to say that like nudity is inherently exploitative, yeah. but there's so much unnecessary, you know, you could argue nudity in this movie and it, and there's, for example, there's full frontal female nudity, no nudity really at all for for men that's what i was like i was i i because this is i mean and this is like a very fraught conversation that i feel like that like we've sort of changed over the years and i think i used to view sex in movies a little like prudishly perhaps Mm. um and it's like i'm pro erotic movie uh but i I, yeah it's like when it's not equal opportunity it feels very glaring Mm -hmm. where i'm like why you know, 
Kyle McLaughlin, we, we see butt. torso up. We see, oh, we do see his butt. See Great butt. But for like Great a few butt. seconds and then he goes into a swimming pool and no more butts. Yeah. There's a lot of chances to see his butt because you see his butt in Sex in the City quite a bit as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. Twin peaks? Twin, twin cheeks. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> twin cheeks. <laughs> um, I don't think you see his, his twin cheeks in Twin Peaks. But I don't think the, so. <laughs> the reason it feels exploitative in this movie is that it's such a heavy focus on female nudity and none whatsoever and again you could they would probably like the filmmakers would probably argue well men's bodies aren't as exploited as women so we're so that's actually commentary that's why we're showing so much female nudity Mm -hmm. but it just feels it's definitely not to make a movie for 14 year old boys to have a to jerk off to after their parents have gone to bed surely Who would not make that movie surely not <laughs> this is a this is a hard-hitting look at the exploitation of women right we only traumatized most of the women in the movie to do it and what a noble sacrifice like blah blah right so Paul Verhoeven is just chaos <sighs> What I want to make clear is that I I have no problem with nudity in movies. I Brave. as as long as it's happening on the terms of the actor and the actor is comfortable with it and right. it's not gratuitous and exploitative. Yeah. But this movie often feels as though at least some of the nudity is gratuitous and exploitative, mm-hmm. which yeah. again goes against yeah. what doing the, the movie says it's trying point. to yeah yeah and i think that's what i was trying to say is that elizabeth berkeley says she didn't feel exploited and she had a great time which wonderful and and she's like she looks super hot oh my god and like how fun to like if you're feeling really hot and you're 21 and you've got that body like if you want to show it off like great yeah how fun right but while we're talking about bodies um I mean, this. There's very little body diversity in uh, this absolutely. movie. Yeah. You do have one character who is fat in Henrietta. She's one of the performers at Cheetahs. She's a comedian, right? She doesn't do the same like striptease act as the other performers. She does more of a, and there is nudity in her act, but it's more like comedy vaudeville vaudeville yeah. is that what vaudeville is turns out i don't know yeah she's very vaudeville yeah but with with boobs with boobs so yeah. her body and like i understand that a venue like that a strip club like that would treat a body like that differently than they would treat the other performers who have these like you know victoria's secret model type bodies but again, the movie is not really commenting on that very much. It's really like... I don't know. What are your thoughts? I I also felt... I mean, that the poor actor who had to play that part. I mean, she did a great job with what she's given. Like... It I don't I don't know what is what is her weirdest line where she's like you're the only one that knows how to what is that line Yeah, know me. You're the only one who get my tits popping right. That's an iconic moment in cinema. <laughs> but yeah, the fact that, I mean, I, it's not surprising to me that, and I'm sure is like reflective of that scene that there's not a lot of body diversity, but I don't, I think that in cer- on some topics, this movie goes out of its way to make a point. It didn't feel like it quite got 
there at all. Mm-mm. I think the closest were like comments made at the beginning of the movie or the beginning of Nomi's career about what she's allowed to eat and what she's not allowed to eat. That was as close to like mm. any sort of attempt at commentary is like not only is there no body diversity and if you are fat or just not a Victoria's Secret model, your act will be different, you will be treated differently and mm-hmm. you are your body is the joke. Mm-hmm. But also that the Victoria's Secret model dancers are like starving and are not allowed to eat mm-hmm. normally, except for Nomi who eats subsists strictly on chips and champagne. And cheeseburgers. Yeah, eat cheeseburgers. Which is another, oh gosh, this is something that, yeah, it's tricky to, but like, it feels very like Gilmore Girls syndrome to me, where it's like, this girl can eat whatever she wants, but she still has a Victoria's Secret body, you know, like you do. And it's like, you it it feels like a very weird half step. I mean, yes. she's 21, so maybe, but you know, I it it just feels I don't There's know. There's certainly a tr- a media trope where the only yeah. women who are allowed to stay or allowed to be seen eating something like a hamburger on screen are women who are extremely thin. Right. Mm. Because if a woman who is not extremely thin is seen eating a hamburger that immediately becomes either a joke or a judgment call is being made on mm-hmm. her choices exactly yeah it felt like it was something that you would think this movie would attempt to make more commentary on mm-hmm. it doesn't i don't know if i'm like i don't know how to feel about it because i'm like well if they'd tried it they probably wouldn't have gone great but <laughs> i don't know yeah. i guess i would be interested in what the attempt would have been um S- similar well again they they would have really traumatized yeah people yeah another a whole other group of people they would have figured out a way to traumatize someone else by trying to make a comment on something else they weren't really equipped to talk about they would have fumbled it the way they fumbled sex work which can we get into that yeah yes so several characters and the movie as a whole seem to have an attitude that sex work is not legitimate work if you are a stripper that's not real dancing you're wasting your talents so it completely delegitimizes wow words they're hard um (laughs) delegitimizes sex work as work but in different ways with different characters where for example james he's like oh Nomi you want to be a showgirl why like what you're doing at cheetahs is at least honest because he says something like people want tits and ass and you give them tits and ass at goddess they pretend it's something else but you still show them tits and ass so he seems to be again like legitimizing sex work more than other people in the movie are but then he'll turn around and say like you're wasting your talents by being a stripper and giving lap dances Mm -hmm. and you know fucking him without fucking him yes yes Mm -hmm. he's all over the place there then you have crystal's attitude which is like if you work at cheetahs like if you work at a strip club that's not real dancing which really upsets and offends Nomi. But then later, Crystal will be like, 
you're a whore and I'm a whore. And I don't love the word whore, but they say it so often in this movie. that it's Unavoidable. <clears throat> right. So she's yeah. like, I'm a whore. You're a whore. We're exactly alike. Just acknowledge what you're doing. And Nomi gets very defensive anytime a conversation like this is happening. And she's saying, ah, no, I'm not. Maybe you are. I know you are, but what am I? <laughs> kind of thing. Yes. Very <laughs> Pee Wee Herman energy. <laughs> and sometimes in her physical choices. Um, <laughs> yeah. I. But I, I do think, Crystal, you made this point earlier where like, in the context of what we later learn about Nomi, I think it is like an interesting and like ultimately somewhat fumbled attempt for like Nomi processing the stigma of having mm -hmm. been a sex worker. Mm -hmm. I don't think that these guys have the juice to make any like clear, uh, they don't, they definitely don't stick the landing, but I thought it was, I don't know, I would be curious to know what our, our listeners think as well but I felt like it was what they were trying to do which only makes sense if you watch it back I do feel like we should have known that a little sooner to really appreciate like the yeah. the struggle that she's having because it's like I, I'm sure that I mean everyone around her is telling her that sex work is not legitimate work mm -hmm. which yeah. is you know certainly not an unpopular take in the 90s she has been a sex worker in the past and it seems like has you know, uh, absorbed a lot of the stigma that comes with that and doesn't want, it's, it's interesting because it's like she does, I mean, she enjoys being a stripper and she like, she likes it and she's defensive of the fact that she likes it. And mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I think it's interesting uh, theoretically to watch a character of this era, like struggle with, stigma and like say no I'm not like I'm doing something legitimate and like what does legitimate mean mm -hmm. what has she been told in the past is and isn't legitimate and that's an interesting journey to take it's just like this movie is not is ill-equipped yeah. to to take you on that journey but I think I think the movie is trying to say that essentially there isn't anything legitimate within the American dream yeah and if you're going to participate in that as a concept you are selling out and you are selling yourself to one degree or another. And I, mm -hmm. I do kind of like that because, and it, it's often a foreign filmmaker who's going to make that point who can come into America and be like, wow, this is a really weird like concept you all have that there's this like, you can somehow attain all of the success without it costing you something. And I like that point of view. Mm -hmm. I think it's, I think it's interesting, but I don't think it particularly, yeah, like you say, nails the landing where it's like, you're all selling out and that is sometimes okay or not okay or whatever. Like sex work can be good. It's it, it's unclear what it actually thinks about that. It's, it's point of view is you're all selling out and right. you should be honest with yourself about that. Which I feel like is so much of Paul Verhoeven's work for me where it's like mm. he definitely has he's he's always on to something but I yeah. feel like he never mm -hmm. really yeah. at least it, for me like I haven't seen all those movies. I still haven't seen Robocop. Um, mm. My boyfriend saw Robocop recently and he was like, wow, he really, I, I guess he maybe stuck the landing on that one. But in general, <laughs> I feel like he definitely is always on to something. He's nibbling at something, but, but never quite sticks yeah. the landing yeah. in a way that's always 
interesting to watch. Um, <laughs> right. The execution might not be quite there, but yeah. the attempt is yeah. watchable. He does. He gives it a hundred percent. Yeah, and, and but the other thing mess, is yeah. like so often sex work is framed as something that people are trying to like desperately escape from Mm -hmm. or are only engaging in out of desperation. And while that might be true for some sex workers, it's rarely presented as something that is happening on the person's terms. It's rarely presented as something that the character or, you know, the person is proud of. And again, this movie kind of does a little bit of both where Mm -hmm. Nomi gets very defensive when crystal insults her and says like if you're working at cheetahs that's not real dancing and you know nomi says you don't know shit um but she also anytime someone suggests that nomi is a whore she's like no i'm not and like again there's this trauma that she's probably working through there's you know there's all kinds of stuff that the movie doesn't quite know how to handle so it ultimately it comes down on the side to me at least and you know other people might have different interpretations but um where the movie lands it feels like sex work is something that you might do on the path of like something more legitimate and it's treating treating sex work as though it's not legitimate work and it's it's something that you might do as like a stepping stone to get to the stardom Mm. that you want to get Mm. to by doing. But I would say that Crystal's character also knows that she's realistic. She's, she's saying I've chosen sex work. Yeah. Right. But she's presented as a bit of a cautionary tale in her own way. You don't necessarily want to end up like her because she, she chose to sell out. She chose to sell herself. She, she made that deal with the devil and look where it's ended her up. She's bitter and alone right yeah it's so i I feel like at least crystal's character at least for me was more open to interpretation than that stock character usually is yeah because it is i mean it is interesting watching how thoroughly jaded most of the women in this story are except for nomi who is just like I don't know. Who knows what's going on with Nomi a lot of the time. But there there does seem to be this like understanding that most people are very frank about to the point where, I mean, it's tragic in itself that Crystal is like, it makes sense that you would push me down the stairs. I'm like, Crystal, I find you to be a confident character. Why would you say that? Um, but but like that it, or a line that stuck with me was that I thought was like interesting that they added in was the... Um, costume designer and how she's presented and she's like well you know like I I, it's like implied she used to be a showgirl but then she like quote unquote passed her prime and she had to have a plan and a man in place and oh the choreographer the yes oh the character whose name is is gay gay. who's gay which (laughs) is incredible but like she she like it's also implied that it's like you're very naive if you don't have an exit plan because you will be yeah. chewed up and spit out. Yeah. And yeah, like you don't want to be crystal. You want to have a plan and a man of what you're going to do mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. when you're inevitably discarded. And the way it's like the way that Gabe presents that very frankly, um, I thought was an interesting choice. Mm-hmm. Again, it's like hard to tell exactly how the movie feels about it but i think it's just presented as like 
if you want to survive in this very patriarchal fucked up space you have to be protecting yourself years in advance it's like mm-hmm. I don't know I was, I've been talking about this a lot lately on the tour I've been on but like the idea that you know if you're marginalized in any way really that you need to be exceptional in order to deserve to survive and like mm-hmm. that whole concept is so normalized where it's like for for the most part like you know like the Kyle McLaughlin's of the world are always going to be fine and they don't need to be really exceptional to have power and hold mm-hmm. power and maintain it but if you are um, I mean, in this case, mostly if you are a woman, you need to be constantly like gold star on patrol or something horrible might happen to you. And it will be implied by the world that you brought it on yourself somehow. Yeah. yeah. And your only other option, I guess, is to do what Nomi does at the end, which is just opt out entirely. Yeah. Like, but then go to L.A. I feel like the implication yeah. is like, well, I conquered Vegas, so now it's time to go to Hollywood. Do you think so? I didn't I, feel that way. I mean, it's maybe I'm just reading between the lines, but there's a sign that says like Los Angeles, 240 miles. Yeah. I think so. if there had been a sequel, which they obviously like put that sign there as like a potential, like we could revisit this idea mm-hmm. and then Nomi would go do L.A. in the exact same way that she'd done Vegas for sure Mm -hmm. but I think that line that they say at the end which is she gets back in the truck and and he says to her did you gamble and she says yes Uh and he says what did you win and she says me (laughs) yeah and that's her saying like I've decided that you know I can't I can't be bought or sold I'm Mm. you know I I had everything offered to me and I'm walking away from it because the cost was too Mm -hmm. high yeah. Yeah. I thought I thought it was very I mean and and maybe she does go to LA and like that's a whole that feels very like Paul Verhoeven-y of like the big at least it felt like in some ways I don't know. Maybe I just feel this way about Vegas in general where it's like yes, the entertainment industry in Vegas is extremely <laughs> seedy and exploitative. But there is kind of this element of it where it's like but it knows what it is and it's not pretending to be like, I think that that's why like the LA industry is so frustrating sometimes. Cause it's like, everyone is pretending that we're not doing the thing that we're doing, but in Vegas, right. they're like, no, we're doing no, the we're thing. Doing Obviously it. it's happening to you right now. And I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, well, at least I know um, here. They're like, no, nothing is happening. Like ignore the man yeah. behind the curtain, fucking you over, like smile better or I don't know. What am I saying? It must be weird not having anybody, anybody come on you. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my yeah. God. And that character also, I mean, we don't even have time. Like that guy sucks yeah. oh my so God. much. Yeah. yeah, he sucks. But that line, I mean, there's <laughs> no denying that line. Yeah. There's no denying it. Iconic. Could we talk about the queer overtones yes. Yes. between I mean, more obviously between Nomi and Crystal, but also I was reading between Nomi and Molly yes. as well, possibly others. Yeah. Thoughts? <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess I'm just like, is this, I feel like you could make the argument that it's queer baiting. I think that you could make the argument that these are queer characters who are into each other, but you only ever see heterosex happening on screen. Yeah. It's very confusing. I don't know. What is that? 
We, I think we, what we have here is a predatory bisexual woman and a naive young straight woman. That's what mm. I get from these characters. Mm-hmm. Which is also Paul Verhoeven canon. I mean, that's like yeah. basic instinct all over. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. And I don't think that's necessarily great. No. Nope. But it's been done worse. It's been done worse by Paul Verhoeven, so... <laughs> yes, in a much better received movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. It's very... Yeah, he definitely has a playbook and refuses to learn a lesson, uh, yeah. which is... We love that for him. Yeah, I guess it really... Um, I don't know. It's, it is fraught, because I do think that like the, yeah, the predatory bisexual woman is on display here, and I also like the kiss. So yeah. it's hard for me in that way it's a great kiss and i i do i i it does seem like this movie is trying to do the like every like quote unquote everything that's scandalous in 1995 has to happen in this movie yeah and so them saving like a a really sexy kiss between women for the very end i'm like yeah i guess that's the last thing on the list you already had a brutal horrific exploitative rape scene Mm -hmm. a ton of nudity a ton of sex and it's like now the cherry on top a gay kiss and it's like yep that's everything that people would have yelled at you for but (laughs) with without like any I mean, it's not obviously anywhere near as bad as the way that the rape scene is handled, but just like, mm-hmm. it just seems like they're checking boxes of like scandalous yeah. thing and not thinking through anything, which at this point in the episode, could you be shocked? <laughs> Basically, it doesn't seem like any bisexual person I know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Same. It's very clearly a bisexual woman written by a straight man. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not great representation. <laughs> What? But I'm not, <laughs> as a queer person, I'm also not offended by it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's where I land on queer issues in this movie. <laughs> Same with the, the dancer who asks for a punch anally. It's like, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that honestly may be my favorite uh, exchange of dialogue there's, in the movie. There's, there's too many good lines. Someone's there's like, so you want a knuckle sandwich? And he's like, yeah, can I have mine anally? <laughs> oh my <laughs> I, I literally paused the movie. I was watching it with my husband. I'm like, do we feel okay about this? And we were like, yeah. Yeah, we're fine. <laughs> it is so campy that you're just like, sure. You're just really watching a straight man feel his way around in the dark entirely. Yeah. He's like, hmm, how, how would a gay man reply to this? I know. Oh, wait. No, my real. Okay, here's my actual favorite line of the movie. Uh, Zach, a.k.a. Kyle McLaughlin, is talking about how he's like, I got an MBA for this. And <laughs> Nomi's like, what's an MBA? And he responds with, an MBA is a degree you pick up in college. That's not quite true. If we're like college being like a four-year undergrad thing, MBA is a master's. I should know. Humans I have a master's degree really in screenwriting. I would never mention duration. it. But, but he's acting like it's something like you go to undergrad and you get an MBA. No. And then he says, and it's mostly worthless in the real world. Also, no, he's <laughs> what he means is a, a master's degree in screenwriting. Um, that's the thing that's worthless in the real world. That's, I, I mean, I thought I thought that was like somewhat intentional, but I love because they're just like because he's like sucks. <laughs> like he sucks. Yes. Yeah. And he's also being especially after the Versace debacle he's also being just like condescending to her he's like uh why bother explaining it to you you wouldn't get it i don't think you're smart 
Right. Absolutely. <sighs> um, if we're doing favorite lines. Oh, please. Mine is when Henrietta says, she says to the sleazy guy about Nomi that she looks better than a 10 inch dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh. And for uh-huh. all of the problems with this movie, the fact that we got this line really, really does go a long way to, to make me feel a lot better about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, very and good. Mine, I'm going with a classic. Must be weird not having anybody come on you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> just perfectly delivered. And then mm-hmm. the cut to Elizabeth Berkeley's reaction is, what? <laughs> it's so confusing. But also the sen- the sentimental music while he says it, it's delivered <laughs> so sincerely. It's that poor actor where I'm just like, yeah. they could, he couldn't have known how they were going to edit that. <laughs> Feels so aggressive. Uh, Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Yeah, this, I mean, this is just like, it's, it's so interesting talking about camp movies on this show because it's like, in some ways, our show is simply not built for it. Um, Yeah, right, right. But I feel like over the years, we've, we've developed a way to talk about camp movies. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, is there anything else that y'all wanted to touch on? I'll just share a couple fun facts. Um, Ooh, great. These are pulled from Scholarly Journal Wikipedia for the most part. Um, I hope, I think they're still true, although these might be a bit outdated. But as far as I know, this is the highest grossing NC-17 production of all time. So even though it was a flop at the box office, because it got a wide theatrical release, its budget was also 45 million dollars and it only ended up grossing i think like 37 or 38 worldwide but even though it was a flop uh, because of the size of its budget theatrically it was still a high grossing nc-17 movie Um, it went on to gross over a hundred million dollars in home video sales and oh, rentals. Oh, I wonder why that could be. This movie Ask did your well. Dad. <laughs> you can... People wanted to watch this movie privately? Hmm. Shock. <laughs> um, it was nominated for 13 Golden Raspberry Awards, aka 13 Razzies. Wow. Um, <laughs> I was like, wow, what a... So formal of you. Yes. Golden <laughs> uh, Which was... A record at the time and might still be the record number of nominations. I think it's been tied by that Lindsay Lohan movie uh, where she also plays a stripper. Right. Are you referring to I Know Who who Killed killed Me? me. That movie is really, really fab. I haven't (laughs) seen it. it. Come back. (laughs) Okay. And that movie, so Showgirls got 13 nominations and won seven of the awards, which at the time was a record. It was beaten by I Know Who Killed Me, which won eight. Ah, um, wow. And then History. Jack and Jill from 2012, which I think is an Adam Sandler oh. movie. Yes, that movie is genuinely horrible. It won 10 Razzies. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So those are just my fun facts. Um, does this movie pass the Bechtel <laughs> test? Well, folks, it does. It does. Yeah. Passes a lot. They're talking about chips. They're talking about nail polish dog food dog food dog food the three tits <laughs> the four things women talk about, about. <laughs> oh it is just a, such a treat watching this this writer try to it's so weird like and also that he was i mean it talk about 
the way that uh, straight men are permitted to flop around for their entire careers. Mm-hmm. The fact that like he was like one of the most high highest paid writers in Hollywood at the time. Yeah. God, it, this always infuriates me. It's like learning about why Wes Anderson's career took off where he just sort of came in and he was like, I have this idea. What do you think? And they're like, here's $5 million. Best of luck. And you're like, wow, absolutely kill me. Um, but, uh, the same deal. I mean, at this point, Joe Esther has had like had hits under his belt. It makes sense that he was able to sell a movie. Right. But the fact that he like wrote this down on a napkin where he's like, women, Vegas. And they're like, we'll give you two million dollars to figure it out. And you're like, are you joking? Like, unbelievable. Um, tisk tisk. But anyway, I mean, it's. What I I can only be so mad because I'm happy that this movie exists. He also wrote Flashdance, um, and yes. he also wrote Basic Instinct. Um, yes. yep. And and his career did actually take a hit for having written this movie. So even men suffered consequences. This movie was considered such a failure, if you can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Oh, but no, but this was he was in his prime because he he got three million dollars to write Basic Instinct. Hmm. Then he got $2 million for writing down a vague idea that sounded sort of like Showgirls on a napkin in Hawaii. Yes. And then they were like, figure it out. And then the movie he made, he wrote after this was called Jade. Mm. Another erotic thriller. I mean, that's his wheelhouse, which is bizarre for someone who (laughs) seems to struggle with basic mechanics of sex, whatever. (laughs) Um, For Jade, he is paid $1.5 million for a two-page outline. Wow. And then in 97, they make him work for it. He's paid $2.5 million for a four-page outline. So, but it's like, wow, wow, wow. Imagine people having that much faith in you. I really cannot relate. (laughs) No. I, like, can't wrap my head around it. Probably feels great. And uh, he's like, why would you learn how sex works if you were just, like, paid 2.5 million dollars to be like um flailing around <laughs> dangerous hot lady <laughs> yes <laughs> wow um, well it, so uh, it anyways, does pass it does the pass. Test. Yeah, yeah, it yeah. really does on to our nipple scale mm. where we rate the movie zero to five nipples based on examining the film through an intersectional feminist lens yes. and i would say based on the movie's really murky framing of sex work based on the way it treats characters of color, which I wanted to include just one last quote from Gina Rivera, who has spoken about her role being cast as the black best friend trope character. Yeah. She said, Quote, it's the Hattie McDaniel role where you take care of the needs of the white woman and you don't have a storyline of your own. It was a difficult decision for me, but it was also one of the first movies I was ever going to do. A lot of black girls have to do that job and I had to start somewhere, Mm. which is just like so common for black actors to have to take roles like this because it's all that's available. It's all that anyone cares to write especially in an era where Hollywood and in this is still obviously very true but like the industry is run by white people who don't care to tell the stories of people of color and 
things are slowly changing and improving, but in the mid nineties, especially like it was just so bleak and the opportunities and roles available to black actors were so frequently this type of role where you're the best friend of the lead, you're catering to their storyline, you are kind of disappeared from the story for large swaths, Mm. you're assaulted. It's just all these horrible things that tend to happen to characters like this. And and that on top of that, she was brutalized at length in the movie and had lasting, I mean, and the effects that that had. Like, it's Mm. just, yeah, which kind of like, I mean, for me, it's like if Paul Verhoeven was attempting to comment on race at all, like he failed if that is how his leading black actor feels about her experience, like working on this movie. Right. Also, even in the world of the movie, poor Molly, her friends just left town. She's still in the hospital. She's fucking unconscious. Right. I don't even think she's fully conscious when Nomi visits her in the hospital. No, exactly. Right. She's just going to wake up and be like, what happened? Yeah. Oh my God. It's awful. I guess my friend abandoned me. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, then she oh. just leaves. She beat up that guy for me, I guess. So I'm fine. Right. Like, <sighs> it's just so upset. So there's a lot of things the movie isn't handling well. As we've discussed, I think it does do a better job than most movies do when they're when examining the reasons why women might be in conflict and it contextualizes yeah. it and provides this commentary on the often exploitative nature of the entertainment industry. The movie has a still a pretty narrow scope of that and it could dig a little bit deeper. But it is kind of the one thing that I think the movie is doing uh, more successfully is, as far as like commentary goes. Would I say that it's brilliant satire? Not necessarily for me, at least. No. I think it's going to be like one and a half or two nipples. Because I do like Nomi and I do like that she's very... She doesn't take shit from anyone. She stands up no. for herself constantly. I like to see this in a female character, but the movie's a mess. <laughs> so it's a mess, a <laughs> glorious two, mess, a glorious mess. Two nipples. I will give one to Nomi's fingernails, and I'll give. I thought she was good. <laughs> the other <laughs> to her constant thrashing about. Yes, mm. I'll meet you at two. I think that there is a. A series of failures to launch commentary in mm-hmm. this movie. There are definitely attempts. I want to like honor those attempts. And also, I mean, particularly the rape scene and the treatment of Molly's character in particular just is so glaringly wrong. And mm-hmm. like even in 1995 was glaringly wrong. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think it's so fascinating what you're saying, Crystal, about how you need to like circumnavigate that scene and that plot point in order to feel like you are celebrating this movie in a way that feels okay and so Mm -hmm. the presence of that is just like well that's an indefensible thing and especially that it had such a real life impact it's so bizarre I mean I guess I'm also taking into account the history of the movie where it's like they're trying to do the thing but then they're also like 
doing the thing that they claim to be commenting on, which is always kind of messy in any, I feel like that's true of many movies that are attempting to comment on showbiz where they're like, Mm. wow, the world's greatest showbiz commentary. And they didn't pay their editors. And you're like, (laughs) well, what's the point of this then? Uh So there is like a little bit of that syndrome going on. Um, But yeah, I I am pretty into Nomi. I love Nomi. I love Crystal. I love the dancing. And I love, uh, I mean, it's problematic in every, every way you can imagine. And I also like, it's so easy to understand why people love this movie and want to continue to celebrate it. And there mm-hmm. are things that make it hard to do. And <laughs> these these things are, are, are both very true. Um, so I'm going to go to nipples and I'm going to give them both to uh, cars that know me. Kicks, hits, <laughs> slaps. Those poor cars. Those poor yeah. cars. Non-binary icon, those cars. <laughs> Crystal, how about you? What do you what do you say? I think that there is an alternate universe, as you've both described, where this movie did not destroy a bunch of women's careers and it doesn't have a brutal rape scene. And and we could give it three or four nipples. Mm-hmm. That is not the world that we live in. <laughs> and I think I'm going to be harsher just because I have my own residual guilt about how much I have previously unquestioningly loved this movie. Mm. And I'm going to give it one nipple. And where am I going to give it? Um, different places. <laughs> where are you from, Nomi? Different places. <laughs> different places. Well, Crystal, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an absolute treat. Come back anytime. I really, really loved it. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, You've both become my strange parasocial friends, so well, that's quite weird for me. Now we're real f- friends. Now we're real friends. Yay! We came true. <laughs> <laughs> um, where can people check out your work, follow you on social media, etc.? Is it too soon to do another different places joke or? No, um, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can listen to my podcast, uh, The Things That Made Me Queer, wherever those podcasts can be found. But it's a, I interview different special guests about pop culture, things that help them understand their queer identities. So things like Showgirls come up a lot. Mm-hmm. If you want to hear us talk about Catwoman or Jean-Claude Van Damme doing the splits, all these kinds of things, oh. it's, it's, it's the podcast for you. And other than that, uh, yeah, go check out my Instagram or my Twitter or wherever else I'm sharing nonsense. It's Crystal. We'll see you now on all those platforms. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on again. This was so so much fun. Oh, where is the where is the coming joke? What is it again? (laughs) Yeah. Is it weird? to? It it was. Yeah, it was weird not having anyone come on me, but I'm glad I was here. If we can promise one thing on the Beckel cast, we will not come on people. We've just never, we've just, it's just never, it's, it would be unprecedented right. uh, on the show. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtel cast. Also, um, we always forget to plug this, but our link tree um, has things such as our letterboxd account and oh i was like do we plug link tree is that a thing no but it it (laughs) is an avenue by which you can find other things of ours such as our patreon that's a link tree yeah (laughs) uh where you can get 
two bonus episodes every single month, plus access to the back catalog. We do fun themes, or I think they're fun. Hopefully, other people do too. I was like, is that an attack on me? (laughs) No, no, no. Um, uh, I'm (laughs) maybe being too confident. I'm not sure. Not this. (laughs) I think they're fun. Unlike this bitch (laughs) over here. Go get me a beer. Okay. <laughs> no, I won't say it. That's how Kate, that was triggering for me because that's how Caitlin talks to me. Yeah. <laughs> you have no idea what happens off mic, it, listeners. It's shocking. <laughs> um, anyway, patreon.com slash Bechtelcast, $5 a month. Do it. Well, how do we end this? Let's get in. Oh, let's get in a car. Or merch also. <laughs> Oh yeah, get get merch. Uh, t slash the cast. Honestly, we don't get a lot of money from that, so you do whatever you want. Um, True. And- Again, we're not good at selling ourselves. Uh, if you want it, you should get it. If you don't want it, you're basically just handing money to iHeartRadio, uh, which is interesting. Oh yeah. And uh-huh. on that note. <laughs> Yeah, let's uh, get in the car and that we've hit uh, and then hitchhike with Jeff to different places. Different places. That is a very cursed, I mean, there's a cursed 90s rom-com in there somewhere of like, they keep oh. passing this this uh, suitcase back and forth. When are these two kids going to figure it out? The only thing yeah. they have in common is they both don't like Garth Brooks. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet we're going to spend the next two hours telling you that they were made for each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, bye. Zoom, bye. Okay, thank you, bye. <laughs> Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.